struts like John Wayne, resembles Jim Carrey, and dresses like he's visually impaired. Because he is Insight. Insight with Mark Farrell on the Progressive Radio Network. 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 Hello, hello, hello. Yeah, it's the guy who walks like John Wayne. <laughs> who wrote that opener? It's Mark Farrell. Yes, it's Thursday. It's the Progressive Radio Network, and it's Insight, your favorite show. Well, maybe not your favorite show, but thanks for listening. Hope you're having a great day, wherever you are. For our international audience, we are in New York City, and it's a beautiful day. 50 degrees almost here today, fingers crossed. And we are springing ahead this weekend. Isn't that a great feeling? Daylight savings, man. It's like, old man winter, so long, buddy. Hit the road, Jack. Pack those winter jackets up yet. But not so fast, though, because March can be a dicey month, right? It can go either way. Be mild or be mild. Next thing you know, boom, get hit with like a crazy snowstorm last week of March. Anyway, <laughs> I'm looking forward to it, right? Because it's kind of been a tough winter. Not that we've got a lot of snow here, but just with COVID and that other big thing that's looming in our minds. Yes, the Russian war. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, we're going to cover a lot of stuff today, but we're going to talk about some good stuff first. Kaylee Brendel's my guest, and you're going to meet her in a few minutes. I spoke with Kaylee a couple days ago, and she is just a remarkable human being that you're going to love as well. She's a freshman at Villanova, doing incredible things, a singer. She's going to be a lawyer. She's going to change the world. I'm telling you folks right now, she's going to change the way people view persons with disabilities, especially persons who are blind and visually impaired. And she's just a great spirit. And, by the way, she's sung at the White House. Yeah, you know that little old White House in D.C.? Not once, not twice. Three times. She has rocked many, many audiences on many different levels and fronts. So, very excited to bring a conversation, part one of Kaylee Brendel, to you in a few minutes. So, yes, we're feeling the pump pains, but I don't have any issue paying more money to save lives. Call me a freak, call me crazy, but for me, paying more to drive a vehicle on the road, to live my daily activities, job, family, work, sport, whatever, to save lives is a no-brainer. And of course, Biden made the announcement the other day that we are not going to be purchasing petroleum anymore from Russia, thank you, but only 40% of the petroleum that we buy is used for fuel, so... It's going to be a long road, I think, my friends, because all the other items, think of plastics, think of many different things in our homes, in our lives on a daily basis, come from petroleum, some sort of ingredients, some sort of mixture, combination. So it's going to be wild. You know what I read about this morning, actually, late last night? Well, maybe like 2 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, I couldn't sleep. Was this fascinating? And I, and I thought about this because I predicted this, not to believe me, not that I'm any uh, smart radio guy here. But uh, I knew going into this conflict, no, I don't like the word conflict, this is an all-out war attack on a country that was unprovoked, that it would be very different because with the age of digital technology, cell phones, digital devices being ubiquitous, just everywhere, it would be captured in an entirely different way. And it is because there is what's known as the mom's network in Ukraine. They are... The mothers of soldiers, of husbands, and most of them have kids, and they're in areas where journalists are not going to go or can't go because they're just not permitted or it's just way too hot 
way too dangerous. So these intrepid spirits are capturing the unthinkable. Yes, the unthinkable that is hard to watch, but I think it's something that all adults should watch. To underscore the brutality of what Putin and Russia is doing. And there's about over a thousand videos online. It's called the Moms Network. They're doing amazing jobs. And one of the most shocking things, well, equally shocking, is seeing that there are kids sometimes in the back seats. I think this is uh, not the most common of the Moms Network because they couldn't get the kids out or whatever the reason. I, I don't want to make a judgment. But they're doing whatever they need to do to show the world the peril that's happening. Devastating. And, and I applaud them because these people, the spirit, the soul of the Ukrainian public is just impressive on every level. These are just beautiful, humble, and most proud people. And I think we all should, you know, take a page out of their Ukrainian How to Live Life book because it is just beautiful how dedicated they are to love, family, to their neighbors, to their community, to their country. It is, it is just mind-boggling. So I'm also happy to see, certainly, that Republicans realize that, yes, this is not something they welcomed. I don't know why it would take them more than a second to realize this, but, hey, as long as we're getting closer and closer to being on the same page, I really, really hope. I mean, I want us to be part of this war, um, to save lives, but I don't want us to be part of this war for a myriad of reasons. First and foremost, because of the the lunatic who's at the helm in Russia. I don't want any buttons being pushed because obviously there will be a counter button pushed, whether it's from us or another country. But that would be inevitable. And it's hard to even fathom that, but I think that's the reality. Um, I, and I understand how uh, Biden is really, really reluctant about supplying planes or allowing planes to go into the American bases in Germany because it will be perceived as us contributing to the war and then it'd be conceived as an act of war, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You've heard this. But of course, you know, no bigger atrocity is being committed or an act of war than Russia itself. So it's a very, very dicey time. It's a very, very um, hard time for Americans by no stretch of the imagination. Are we comparing ourselves or am I comparing ourselves to what they're enduring over there? But after COVID, um, the world has been very much, uh, you know, knocked out and or put on the mat um, because of what we've been living with, the loss we've been living with, the stresses, the toll, the mental health. And now we have every day thinking about thousands of people, mass graves right now in this uh, very, very unfortunate country known as Ukraine. Sorry, sometimes I just get so overwhelmed by this that it's, it's, it's even hard to speak about sometimes. But I want to talk about you because I want to make sure that you're talking about you because this is so much to deal with. The pressure, the stressors of just dealing with this, um, it, it's, it's very, very tough. So are you taking care of you know, your mental health? Make sure that you're moving and talking about it. You know what? The other day, I was feeling really, actually it was yesterday, I was feeling kind of down. The weather was really kind of nasty here. Uh, doom and gloom with the world events. COVID, thankfully, is opening up. Much lower 
Mass mandates in New Jersey are much less in New York State, mostly optional for school districts. But I was bummed out. And I heard a song that I hadn't heard in years. And so I went to that album, Jackson Brown, The Pretender. And man, it just lifted my mood. Of course, I've, <laughs> I've spoken about this on a show and I speak about this with audiences, about the power of music. Music is medicine. So if you can get and play yourself some music, um, get out of that, that funk of the reality. Of course, we need to understand. We need to be able to do what we can do, whether it's a monetary contribution, whatever you need to do and can do, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, to benefit the people of Ukraine. But, you know, you have to take care of number one so you can also take care of the other people in your life. But movement is key. And if you can get some music in there, um, that is really good. And connect out, connect with someone that you haven't connected with in a long time. Because that's really, really important. Because reaching out and, and recalling memories of good times always does the trick for me. And I'm sure it'll work for you. And if not, maybe you don't have someone that um, does that for you from a long time ago. Um, make a new friend and maybe establish something new and broker uh, friendship and or communication with somebody who could possibly use it even more than you. All right. So, hey, yes, this is Insight on Progressive Radio Network. Thank you so much for joining me this Thursday. Really hope you're doing well. Always welcome your phone calls and certainly emails at mark at markfarrellmotivation.com. Mark at markfarrellmotivation.com. Okay, Kaylee Brendel. She uh, is a consumer for the New Jersey Commission for the Blind and Visually Impaired, a state agency that provides services and programs to persons who are blind and visually impaired. And I was a consumer when I was a wee little lad. <laughs> I was never really wee. Yeah, I guess I was. Uh, but now I'm, I'm happy to be a part of it in a different capacity as an advisory board member. And I had the pleasure of meeting Kaylee because Kaylee is always talked about in CBVI, Commission for the Blind and Visually Impaired, because she represents everything that we want our students, our children, and community members to do in this world, thrive, whether you have a disability or not. But of course, she's with CBVI, and she's now in her first year at Villanova. And after uh, about two years or so of uh, when I first met her virtually, we had time to sit down and have a conversation. So this is part one of a great conversation, a candid conversation with Kaylee Brendel on the Progressive Radio Network. You are on fire, my dear. First year at Villanova, and you made the Dean's List. What took you so long? <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's been amazing. I absolutely love Villanova, all the elements of the experience. It's, it's incredible. And you've well adapted. You are a singer at the choir there. You are part of the Villanova Disability Advocacy Group. Mm -hmm. You are just setting the stages on fire, complete with a new EP. <laughs> Thank you. Yep, it was released October uh, 1st of last year. That is phenomenal. How do you feel? Are you really embracing this new chapter in your life? I love it. Uh, I love every part of it. You know, COVID definitely limited what I could do, and my senior year was all remote, so I was able to accomplish a lot less. And being in person again and being in the studio to release my EP being part of Minor Problem, which is Villanova's acapella group, and being able to sing at all these in-person events for charitable organizations. It's been amazing. It just feels so good to be back on stage again and in the classroom where I'd love to be. And what about the validation you possibly receive when your song, or songs rather, are played on Villanova's radio station? That was probably the best email yeah. I've ever received. Like, I was 
so happy. Thank God my roommate wasn't in my dorm room. I was like screaming. It was, <laughs> it was so amazing. I got to be in my mom's car when Mr. Wright came on. That's one of my songs off my EP. Came on the radio for the first time. And she got a video of my reaction. It was like, I was so giddy and so happy. Like, it just feels like a dream. It doesn't think, I mean, you, you don't think it could ever happen. And then it just does. So if you were to look back to your senior year, which was a difficult one yeah, uh, because of COVID. Mm -hmm. You were, you know, in a room for X amount of hours online, but you still did extremely well. You got a letter from the principal about how well you did. You got two perfect tests or papers. So academically, there's no problem there whatsoever because you surpass a lot of expectations. Thank you. But looking ahead then, any potential college-bound student is going to be like, whoa, the unknown this is, you know, obviously Villanova is not that far for our global audience. We're in uh, New York City right now. Wink, wink. The satellite studio of the Progressive Radio Network in Freeland, Jersey. But you're based not too far from here, but your school is in Pennsylvania. Yeah. So you're not that far. But in terms of uh, a person who's visually impaired, that um, that could be like thousands of miles away. Yeah. And it's without the advocacy of your parents, mm -hmm. your mother, Heather, and your father and your brother, Cody. Um, so it's a brand new chapter. So yeah. talk about the trepidation, if there was any, and how you got over that, and if you're still working on that. I think that's the beautiful part about my decision to attend Villanova, is that I was coming in knowing that for once in my life, I would not have to fight for accommodations. It was interesting. Villanova was initially not one of my top schools. And then my dad was like, if you're talking to the disability officers of these other colleges, you need to be talking to Villanova. And I was like, no, it's too big because I wanted a small school. I was accepted into Haverford as well. And their population is like 1,500 kids. Like it could be my high school. And so I was like, much Villanova's more manageable. Too big. Exactly. Like for me, that was that was OK. That was I wasn't I wasn't increasing by too much um, in terms of what I had to deal with. But my dad was like, you should talk to Villanova. And their disability office blew me away, what they had to offer. They were like, because we're a Christian university, we don't just give you the bare minimum and walk away. That's not what we're about here. We're about leveling the playing field. Fantastic. And the disability advocacy group I'm a part of is actually called Level because of this notion of leveling the playing field for the disabled and the able. And so I was walking in knowing this is going to be a good place for me for once I'm not going to have to fight and I'm not fighting against them. I'm fighting alongside them. So you felt that way prior to actually stepping foot on campus in September, you were going there for your interviews and having meetings and you felt that bold and confident then. Yeah. I just That's knew fantastic. like, I didn't know about every variable. I didn't know if every professor was going to be great or if the socialization and never piece was going to be exactly. I mean, I've had uh, Able-bodied you know, or not. Exactly. I've had imperfect professors, but I've always been able to work with them and work around them. And that that's what I was a, looking for. That should be a course. Imperfect Professors 101. <laughs> because How I, to deal with that? Because Isn't when I was in school, the insensitivity was unbelievable off the charts. Yeah. I'd go up every semester... You know, the first year or two wasn't too bad. You know, after the first class, go up. Hi, my name's Mark Farrell, blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah. Just want yep. to introduce myself because I'm visually impaired. Pause, silence. You don't look blind. Oh, I've oh. gotten that before. Yeah. So how do you handle that, Kaylee? I think with that, you just have to know that they're not doing it out of a place of ill intent. They're not doing it to be mean to you. They're just not exposed. Educated. Like... A lot of people have said, like, the only blind person I've ever seen is Stevie Wonder. You know, I've ever seen, like, the sunken in eyes or the glasses or the head movements. And they're like, well, you don't do that. 
you're not, you know, you don't look like a typical blind person. And so, you know, part of what my mission is, is to take down that stereotype and show that blindness is not the characteristic that defines you and you can look any way you want to and be blind. That's a great perspective to have. And I applaud you for that. But sometimes in the back of your head, is there a voice that says to you, well, this person's highly educated. They're a professor at Villanova yeah. or what College X mm-hmm. and myself when I was at William Patterson University. And I was just kind of dumbfounded because even if you're not educated, there's a thing called sensitivity, <laughs> uh, ethics, you know, higher ground, yeah. you know, common sense. Absolutely. Um, you know, I had that with one of my professors at Villanova. And how did you handle it? All you can do is keep a smile on your face and be polite. Because Mm. you are only responsible for your half of that exchange. And if you give your all to your side of the conversation, that's all you can do. Well said. So, you know, it was, and I've gotten this concern before, actually. I had to get into a little bit of a legal dispute with the college board a couple of years ago because they revoked the accommodation of Braille for my AP exams. And one of their trepidations was that they thought blind people were kind of more likely to cheat. And I encountered that with one of my professors at Villanova. And she was a very, very educated, incredible, very accomplished person. And she was like, well, how do I know you won't cheat? And she kind of questioned me about it for about five minutes. And my friend was standing next to me and she was like, Kaylee, that made me uncomfortable. I was like, it made me uncomfortable too. Like, (laughs) you know, but. Makes me uncomfortable. But you know what? She didn't know. And I don't, I don't fault this woman at all because she just never knew. Like, how would she have known that? I was just as likely to cheat as anyone else, or in my experience, like less likely because I believe in academic integrity. But she just didn't know, and she was just Why asking. Why would what they think that you would cheat when they have a I proctor that could know. monitor this who reads Braille? I don't know where all the assumptions come yeah. from, but all I can do is try to take. But them it's down interesting and how them. people sometimes jump to the wrong conclusion as the first conclusion. Yeah, but you know what? All we can do is work with what we have. And Absolutely. So, and by I the love end of your semester, spirit. Exactly. That's what I embrace. By the end of the yeah. semester, we had an amazing relationship, and her opinion had completely changed in her perception and I think what she thought blind people were capable of. And so, yeah, I definitely would take her class again, and she's an amazing person, and I have no regrets. So that's Would you, you consider do. ever when you're exiting this conversation or you don't think that you're going to see this professor often, and you could say, all that. Without cheating. Imagine that. <laughs> oh Here's what gosh. that says in Braille and hand her a piece of paper. Yeah, really. Learn no, this but... <laughs> and we'll talk. But she did through experience and through yeah. watching me no, participate good for you. in class. Of course, of course. It's about exposure. But Absolutely. it's interesting how, you know, that would be my first conclusion. Cheating because you're using Braille. Who would have thunk? I, you know? I, do I mean, look know. at your, you know, your academic record, your track record is spotless. You know? Thank you. You know, but I guess you cheated all those years, so I guess let's throw it all yeah, out the window. Yeah, you know, just got to <laughs> get all those notes queued up. So you've been singing very, very long throughout your all 20 years, 19 years? Uh, going to turn 19 in about a month. 19, all right. <laughs> Happy almost 19th. Thank you. Uh, last year as a teenager, so go crazy because next year you don't have any excuse. you got to <laughs> be a semi-grown-up. What is it and what was it about singing that allowed you to embrace it and live so wholeheartedly with this art? I think as I grew older, music just became my therapy. Different people deal with problems in different ways. You know, my dad loves to run, and 
you know, I have friends that draw. Oh, I have a blind friend that's the most amazing artist you'll ever meet. She sculpts too. Um, but like people have different ways that they deal with problems. Some people just love to vent, you know, get it all out on the mm. phone or Eat, write in a diary. And so for me, it was just going to my piano and talking and writing and expressing that way. You know, whenever a good or bad situation came up. Like there's a song on my um, EP called Glow. And that's when I felt this overwhelming feeling of like fairy tale love. And so that was a great feeling. That was an amazing songwriting experience because for once I was going to the piano for a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it just felt great to get out. And it just all kind of flows out. You know, you can never force songwriting, in my opinion. Like, I've never been like, OK, I'm going to sit mm. down and I'm going to write a song right now. Because it's it's writing, and it obviously worked. you can you can write things when you're not in the mood if it's black and white. Yeah. But for it to be fluid and to have entertainment and to have that woven thread of magic through it, then you have to have that creative mood and spirit in you. Exactly. You have to feel it in that moment. Just raw response. So you were born with a very rare disease, Libra's congenital amaurosis, mm -hmm. known as LCA. Thank yep. God there's an acronym, right? <laughs> Um, a rare disorder. Uh, yeah. Welcome to the club, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> welcome to the rare disorder <laughs> congenital retinal disease club. We're, we're not few, actually, unfortunately. But the good thing is, I would say to you, being so young, is that it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when your disease will be cured. Because the leaps and bounds that the progress that's being made on an annual basis in the congenital retinal diseases is staggering. Yeah. It's, it's incredible to see what science can accomplish. But until we get there, I'm comfortable with the fact that I don't want to take any risk with my vision. I'm cool with what Same I have. Here. Yep. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, you're so young, I'd say in another 10, 15 years, you'll easily have something that's going to be comfortable and safe. But in terms of um, who you are, mm -hmm. do you think you would be the same person if you weren't visually impaired, most empathetic, compassionate and driven person? Um, I think that if I hadn't been born visually impaired, I might not have been exposed to it. And that's the sad part, is that a lot of visually impaired students are kept in different classrooms or not participating in mainstream. And so I don't know if I would have seen it as much. Um, you know, my disability director at Villanova, uh, most, my favorite story to tell, like ever, he has this um, eight-year-old daughter and she came on a retreat with us that he threw. And we were on this hayride. And it was dark, and I'm fully night blind. And so I was having difficulty navigating because it was high up, a lot of people, a lot of obstacles. And she just effortless, effortlessly guided me. I didn't ask her. She just stuck her hand out and knew what to do. And I talked to the director afterward. I was like, how did she know? And he said, because she's been exposed to it all her mm. life. My disability director at Villanova has so many disabled friends and people that he's just close with and works with. And so she just grew up around that. And I think that cultivated that empathy in her. That's everything. And That's the same as being in a community where it's diverse, different socioeconomic backgrounds. Mm -hmm. It's all encompassing. You have to raise well-rounded people because, you know, 
uh, what you put in is what you get out. And if you're exactly. not, and thankfully, I'm in the same circle as you are. So they're going to, we were talking about before we went live today, you know, disability festivals, fairs. They know I'm a motivational speaker, and most of my population are audience members with disabilities. Mm -hmm. And so it's just normal to them. That's who they are. Right. Their two nieces are gay, and we have friends that are gay. I mean, this is just their world. It's no big deal. And that's the way it should be for everyone and everything. Exactly. Just normalizing yes. it. Yes. So there are so many people that I've spoken to. I mean, magically gifted people. And I uh, consider you one of those because you're supremely talented. Thank you so in much. In front of the microphone and on the keyboard. <laughs> and certainly uh, for your pre-law track that you're working very diligently on. And I'm sure you're going to, you're going to consider a second and third major, you said? Or a third uh, major? I'm considering double majoring and triple minoring. I'm going to wow. kind of talk to my advisor okay. and see if that's possible. But Okay, so total type A. <laughs> uh, is there a part of you you think that's unconscious that is overachieving to prove to not yourself and not to your mom heather who's in the studio here and your father and your brother but more importantly to all the able-bodied world that a person with a limitation is not limited you know what i've i've thought about this some before and i think that there is some truth to it actually because I do feel this desire to prove that I'm, I guess, worthy of looking at. Because a lot of people just see the cane and stop looking. And I would love for there to be a world where the cane was not a deterrent and people would keep looking and they would see the smile and they would see, you know. The radiance. Exactly, would see the person there. And for me, in some cases, I do feel as though I have to work twice as hard just to be looked at and given the bare minimum and that can be very frustrating but it is worth it at the end of the day and if that's what I have to do you know I will do it but I live for the day where the next person like me that's in my shoes won't have to feel this pressure mm. do you ever feel that the pressure is not societal it's more from Kaylee yourself no, um, I've had too many experiences where, you know, there's underestimation and there's mm. unintentionally negative comments thrown toward me uh, by my peers, by my instructors. So, no, because I think I came into it with a very optimistic view and my family is very optimistic and I keep that outlook as much as I can. But at a certain point, what you go through kind of rubs off on you. Oh, absolutely. And I it think that's you. exactly, and that's kind of where it came from. And hence why you're so articulate, and hence why you want to be an attorney. <laughs> and hence why you were so effective in moot court. Thank you. Yeah, mock trial was amazing. And it was funny. I was talking to the judge afterward that I argued in front of, and she said I was the first blind attorney that she'd ever seen. And that was a beautiful moment because she told me that I'd received a perfect score. Wow. And, you know, I got to shape that perception for her. I love being the first blind person that is come across because then I can set the bar how my community mm, deserves it. Absolutely. That's a lot of honor, pun intended. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I, and I, I see you easily excelling in this field. It's not about if, it's about where do you want to land. You know, obviously you're doing your music uh, mm -hmm. in conjunction 
and I think music is certainly going to be a lifelong passion of yours. And, you know, this is the age, certainly like, like my wife told me, like when she went out to Seattle, like everyone who is a, maybe an architect or a dentist, whatever, at night they're DJs or they're doing something really artsy and different. Exactly. You know, they're procuring exhibits or different uh, outlets. And, and that's a great thing because I also share that, you know, it's so important in life. And I'm sure your mom would attest to this, to have an outlet. It doesn't matter whether you have a disability or not because you need the channel. I mean, think about, I mean, the life events. Last night I was watching TV. I couldn't believe this at midnight. And there was actually a broadcaster on the, uh, the 12th hour who's, mm-hmm. they're taking turns uh, rotating that now. And the broadcaster said, you know, if X, Y, and Z happens in Ukraine, this show won't be here anymore. This studio won't be here. This building won't be here. New York City won't be here talking about obviously nuclear yeah weapons mm-hmm. so wrapping my head around that i'm like whoa okay it's time to have a little late night workout <laughs> you know because during covid during all these political divides there are so many different barriers and obviously just getting through every day yeah. um, takes its toll and sprinkle <laughs> on a little disability you know hurdles but i always say and i'm sure you'll attest to this that when you have a disability you know you certainly don't get a day off but i mean the world had a disability with COVID. We're kind of used to living a different life. Yeah. Maybe not being locked in, certainly, <laughs> but, you know, getting over hurdles and problem solving. Exactly. And being creative. Yeah, that was, you know what, you remind me of something that I had a discussion about on another podcast, which was that with my International Online Choir for the Blind, we were doing the virtual choir thing for four years before COVID happened. And then everyone started discovering the technology and coming to us. And it was so funny because in this world where everything shut down, Serenity, which is the name of my choir, Sing for Serenity, it was that one constant. Like I was still logging on at 7.45 p.m. on Sunday nights to teach them parts. That never went away. And that was so beautiful, not just for me to witness, but for other people. Like I know firsthand how good it was for all of us to just keep that sure. element of normalcy yeah. in our lives. And, and now the rest of the world is emulating you. <laughs> right? Yeah, discovering, you know, what GarageBand's choral template can do and all the different apps we use. And God, I have so much respect for our editors. <laughs> like I could never do what our edit- editors do. Oh. This is Insight on the Progressive Radio Network. My name is Mark Farrell. <laughs> Kaylee Brendel <laughs> is my guest. Kaylee, it's long overdue. We've known each other for about maybe two years we kind of met when I was hosting the first CBVI 110th anniversary virtually. And I had the pleasure of introducing you and you sang the national anthem. And of course, I was blown away. But finally, we're in the same studio. And this is kind of a hard thing for you because you are so busy. And, <laughs> and including all your different seasoned expertise and certainly you being a first year in Villanova and doing so well and being a part of different organizations in your advocacy work and also a part-time resident. Of the White House. (laughs) You're almost like your roommate there. Three times you sung at the White House. How did this happen? So I am a part of the, or I was a part, unfortunately, I had to graduate, which is, God, it was so sad. Um, I was a part of the Westminster Children's Choir, uh, affiliated with, uh, you know, Westminster Mm -hmm. Choir College and Princeton University. We just went every two years. And I, once I got to the middle school choir, I got to start going myself. And... We had solo auditions that year um, for one of my favorite pieces we ever performed. And I never really thought I would get the solo because I'd heard the people who had gotten it before me. And I was like, wow, these people are Stiff incredible. competition. Yeah, very much so. 
And she was just like, Kayla, my director was like, why don't you give it a try? I was like, okay. And I did. And I ended up with a solo. Wow. And it was this crazy moment, like being in the room with all the diplomats, because we get to sing for the diplomat tour. And her calling me forward and the piano starting. And there I was just singing this with the choir behind me. With your cane? Yeah, with my Fantastic. cane. Fantastic. I love it. Who was in the office then? Uh, was it I Obama? Think, yeah, I think we sang once under Obama and then twice under Trump. And were there correctly. any exchanges? Did We were so close. I literally was standing in a hallway where Melania had taken an Instagram photo standing in 20 Fantastic. minutes before. So wow. we were, we were close. Right? But we definitely got to meet a lot of very kind diplomats from around the world. And they brought their families. And that was incredible. Surreal? Yeah. So did that underscore for you, and I'm sure it did for your parents, that the hard work, the 10,000-hour rule... <laughs> paid off yeah 100 percent. yeah like all of those i mean we had, we rehearsed constantly before we went in the months leading and up the to years it. leading up to it yeah and you know i'm talking three hour rehearsals sometimes and you know for a 12 year old that's a lot and sure you know the bus ride and but it was so worth it absolutely Hands what's down. your lasting impression in terms of being in a completely different environment with your craft that, that you've honed so well and sharing it with a, certainly a different type of audience. I think I was really touched by the respect that we received and the applause and the genuine kindness that was shown to all of us. Uh, they were just so, so gracious and so good. And just having them there with us in that special moment was really incredible. And side note, we also got to perform at this amazing pizza place that was like right, <laughs> it all right, comes back to pizza, right, right near there. No, but it was like so fun because we were so That's tired. Great. You know, yeah, when you're sure. when you're on the bus and you get on the bus at like three in the morning. Oh, it's insane. And then right? like you perform for I think we had two forty five minute sets. Yeah. The life and of a musician. Yeah. And so we get there at like six at night and we're just yeah. all dead. But we all mobilized and performed what was it, Carol the Bells at this pizza place. Beautiful. And oh, it was really? so on a full stomach. funny. Yeah, it was so Great. funny. And we just got an amazing reaction. And that's what I love is like any type of performance you do is just there's nothing like a performance for people that don't expect it. What about in high school? Was that certainly a a similar or a, a type of performance, a different type of performance? Because you know, it's it's very difficult having a disability in school. Oh yeah. Hopefully you with your age, uh, there's a little bit more awareness i like to think but then again i speak at schools i kind of know there isn't that much more we like to think there is it's much more visual because you see right. the words mm -hmm. but i don't know if it actually resonates with you know the entire student population so talk about uh becoming maybe bulletproof how you became resilient how you coped um because we we kind of had an exchange about sports i mean i love sports but i, I couldn't compete in sports mm -hmm. and and it's difficult because Having what is deemed an invisible disability for myself, I don't have a cane. So sometimes right. a cane is also a beacon in a good way. It says to people, oh, okay, I am different. I can't see a ball coming at me because sometimes, <laughs> yes, I'd get clocked. Yeah. And, uh, so Been share, there. Yeah, share your insight about that and how you made it feel and, and how you found your outlets because of that. So a couple things. I definitely agree that a cane or a guide dog can be a very positive beacon to have. And I... You know, I have a lot of friends that just hate the cane 
and don't want anything to do with it. Users, first. you mean, not friends yeah. of well, yours. Yeah, no, well, I have a lot of like blind or visually impaired friends that like use canes and they don't like having to do that. I actually because really, of that reason. Yeah, mm. I really love it um, because it says, you know, it's kind of a communicative mm. instrument to pedestrians yeah. or uh, motorists. Please get and, out of my way. Yeah, please, <laughs> <laughs> I'm here. I'm not going to see you. Yeah. Um, I want that but, first seat. <laughs> but, you know, it also just says like, hey, wow, she's got that and she's up there singing or she's receiving that award. Or, yep, great perspective. You know, she's giving that presentation from memory, which I had to do. That was so funny. My Braille device just totally glitched. And I had to give a five-minute presentation from memory once in college. And it was, whew, That's a lot of, lot of text in five minutes. Good for you. Yeah, thank you. Um, because a lot of pros can't do that. Oh they freeze God. once they have to go to recall. It's brutal. Yeah. That first, like, 15 seconds was horrible. But then you kind of get your bearings. And I had, a, I had such a kind professor. He actually owns his own nonprofit, uh, so he's amazing. But anyway, back to your original question. I think finding your outlet. I, It's just doing what you love and finding an extracurricular activity that goes along with that. That's kind of the advice I would give to any middle school or high school or college student that has a disability. Look at your school's activity list. See what they offer. I guarantee you there's going to be at least one that jives with what you like. And if there isn't one, start it. And just go from there like the cool thing you said you know sports and how inaccessible they can be my acapella club in high school we actually had to get sports jerseys and we were treated like a sport we had to get like physical i think we had to get physical no kidding no it was amazing my mom could attest to this i was (laughs) up there with my jersey i um you got to like claim your number i love it i was number one now batting batting um, batting on the piano yeah (laughs) yeah it was so fun and you know it was like a sport because I got to do choreography, and that was an interesting battle, too, because learning choreography with a visual impairment, I consider dance to be as rigorous as a sport, and it, it, is, was, it, sure. was, it was not easy, and all it took was one student to believe that I could perform the same moves. You know, the first year, it was, okay, well, do you want to be pushed around in a wheelchair? I was like, a wheelchair? My, my legs work. I don't need that. I just... I, I want to do everything that my peers do. And I proved that I could. And in college, that was the beautiful thing, too, about Villanova, is I didn't have to come in proving myself. They were like, okay, you're doing it. And they took me for the talent I had and nothing else. And they have worked with me on the side to get my moves right. And I'm doing, like, twirls now and, like, all these intricate moves. And all that blonde um, hair, those locks of hair just <laughs> flying all around. I love it. Yeah, it's it's so fun. Um, but, yeah, back then we got to do this thing called, I'll never forget it, the holiday tour, where we went to retirement homes. Um, Outstanding. Schools, uh, the hospital. God, that, you want to talk about an impactful performance. Nothing like the hospital. Um, it was just, like, people were in tears in the best way. Like, we were just... We You're were there bringing to give them life a break. to them, yeah, and, and no better medicine than live music to the workers, yeah. to the paid. They would wheel the patients out, um, and we would sing Christmas carols to oh, them. That's everything. It was the most impactful experience, and then uh, then we went to um, what was it, the bus station or not the the station where all the bus drivers from the school district went. That was like a l- amazingly lively <laughs> audience. I like, imagine they yeah. never get thanks, and they deserve it. Did and they all so have their yellow vest on? I could not tell you. Because, <laughs> you know, you see them in Dunkin' know. Donuts or walking around with their yellow vests on. It's like they forgot to take it off. Or they just love being seen from a mile. Oh, God. Not that you and I can see them from a mile. Yeah, really. But, you know, <laughs> but it was all so, these audiences that, like, needed the love. 
obviously it's, it's a great starting ground yeah. on many different occasions. And I'm sure there are many days you came home crestfallen because yeah. of X, Y, or Z that happened. Uh, insensitivity, yep. a lack of opportunity, yeah. uh, feeling like you don't fit in. And I'm sure and we can all say this, kind of been a rebel all my life, but it's always nice to be able to be in a club of some sort. Absolutely. Because we all want to be wanted. Yeah. You know, just like when we get fired. What? You know, if you got fired from me, what? I, even if you don't want to work there, you're firing me? No, I want to quit first, you know? Yeah. You want to, but my it, terms. You have to have a place to hang your hat, whether it's a club, a friendship, um, an outlet, um, a hobby, as we were talking about before. But it, it's interesting. And, and, you know, when you have a disability, especially for youth, it can be challenging and trying. I mean, for myself, my parents were divorced at a young age and I couldn't fit in, I couldn't do the sports. Everything actually I tried, I quit. Because I wouldn't be honest with the coaches and say, I can't see all those basketballs flying around at oh, practice. And I'm sure if I did, okay. he would have said, okay, Mark, let's put you over here with this backboard and, you know, yeah. in soccer. I was even a goalie. I was very good. But you start kicking 10 soccer balls at anybody, you know, they're not going to be able to track them. And again, I made up an excuse. So if I could speak to the younger version of myself, I'd say, be honest with yourself. Mm -hmm. And it seems like you have lived a very truthful life with Kaylee Brendel. Yeah, I definitely try to be, like, honest and disclose right when I need to. But, th yeah, there were definitely those days when, um, you know, I sat alone at lunch. There was a while where, like, I just couldn't – I mean, I think disabled students, especially blind students that are going through middle school and high school, can probably attest to the fact that the cafeteria is brutal. a little brutal. Brutal. Um, and so I just <laughs> – I sat alone my first day of high school, and it was a really hard experience, but – you know, then there was that girl that came the next day and I talked to her in Spanish class and she'd seen me for me. And she was like, hey, is it OK if I sit here? And Great. she became like my big sister. And the sea changes like that. Exactly. Just like Just that. Like that. Yep. But, you know, there were days when when she moved that next year. And so oh. it was so hard. I was like, shoot, yes. I finally found one. And, you know, mom, dad, we're moving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> Going to self and boy. Yeah. Um, but so, you know, I would sit in the library alone because I just didn't want to deal with mm -hmm. it. And then I would go to chorus lunch because I couldn't participate after school. Sure. And I was wanted. I was welcomed. I was in the middle of yeah. this wall of sound. And it was the best. So those those activities will save you, I and, um, promise. Has this ever happened to you where you see somebody inside when you're getting your food, etc.? Hey, I'll meet you out there. And you're like, oh, no, because you know when you get out there, this happens to me countless times, you can never find them. Oh, yeah. And for me, it probably was more common because, again, no cane. Yeah. And people thought, you know, hey, I got around for the most part, no problem. So I can't tell you how many times I wouldn't be able to find them, and they wouldn't be obviously smart enough or know me well enough to be like, oh, he couldn't find me, so let me look for him. Yeah. <laughs> and then you end up by yourself. The, the food tastes better. You can concentrate more on your meal then. <laughs> <laughs> you can watch The Bachelor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I did. So all the years of performing well prepared you for performing in Trent, New Jersey for the Trenton Thunder, which is a minor league baseball team. Unfortunately, no more in existence. Sad, sad. But for our global listeners, it's about an hour outside of New York City. Mm -hmm. A great venue. And you've performed there many times. And you actually won... Trenton Thunder Idol there several times. Um, I guess you didn't need much cajoling to do that, but talk about singing in the stadium because the acoustics are extremely different. And what did it mean to you to walk away with a an award such as the Idol Award? It was, it represented thousands of people believing in me and vocalizing their 
ad, you know, appreciation for what I had to give. And I think that was a very new feeling because in most contests, it's just the judges pick. But with Trent Thunder Idol, you, yes, the judges kind of select who gets to the final round. But when it comes to the top two, the audience vote is what gets you that title. And so to hear all these people cheering for me and wanting me to win was really an uplifting feeling because I had really bad stage fright because it was such a large crowd. But like you said, the acoustics were phenomenal. And then just to hear them all, like when the announcer said, like, okay, cheer if you want Kaylee to be our next Trent Thunder Idol, everyone just going nuts was just the best feeling. Wow, I got chills just listening so to So validating. That. Yeah. And then, like, when, when they said, like, okay, it's our idol, it's Kaylee, I, like, let out this little squeak. Because I just, <laughs> I wasn't expecting it. And, like, 10-year-old sure. me was like, wait, what? 10 years old singing in a stadium. Yeah. Good for you. Thank you. And then fast forward to um, 2021 <laughs> when you had the privilege of singing in the same stadium. Yep. Uh, we had an event there for the New Jersey Commission for the Blind and Visually Impaired who I have to say that we have another thing in common because I was a consumer, just like you, uh, but now I'm actually contributing and giving back on the board of advisors. But there I was that day, thankfully hosting it and introducing you, and we sang to a global audience because it was virtual. Not one person in the stands, but again, you have this great gift that you shared, and the sounds were palpable and bouncing and echoing through the capital of New Jersey and the worldwide ripple effects were felt. Good for you. Thank you so much. Was it different? Because you had that experience, could you actually like pretend or envision the crowd from years prior? Yeah, I definitely could because, you know, I couldn't quite see the crowd mm. either way. You know, I could see like kind of outlines and stuff, but I'm better nearsighted. And so it wasn't necessarily different in visual terms but in auditory terms i didn't hear that ambience like that background noise of people talking and cheering so that was different but i had just gotten finished creating my ep and there was nobody in the studio there but i knew the impact that each take was going to have and so i was singing with purpose in each instance even though I was singing to no one in that moment, but I knew that I'd be singing oh, to you. Oh, you've got a lot of purpose in your voice, that's I for sure. To, thank you. Kaylee, what's your best social media platform for people to follow you on? Uh, I would say either Instagram or YouTube, because YouTube is where you can find my music, a lot of my covers, and Instagram is where you can kind of see snapshots of my life and my advocacy work and, you know, my Villanova journey. Uh, so Instagram is just my first name, at Kaylee Brundle, and then YouTube is Kaylee Brundle, too. Yeah, so check out Kaylee on all her socials and check out her part two interview right here next week. Uh, Kaylee is, a, as you heard, a remarkable person, has a zeal for life, and she's going to be unstoppable, whatever she chooses to do. And I hope that music will remain, I'm sure it will remain a constant in her life. And in our part two of uh, our interview, you're going to hear Kaylee right here. Uh, she's going to sing live for us, and you will be astounded. And also, we're going to debut some tracks from her new EP, Karma. Perfectly titled, right? Karma. And I think karma suits her well. Um, it serves her well. And she's a full believer in karma. And her album is phenomenal. So part two with Kaylee Brendel coming up. So hey, it's Mark Farrell on the Progressive Radio Network. The show is Insight. Yes, Daylight Savings is coming Sunday. So 2 o'clock in the morning, it becomes 1 o'clock. And so, yes, spring is that much closer. I think it's like, I don't know, 10 days away or so, technically. 
but so are the great spiders. Have you read about this? Have you heard about this? I think they're called the uh, the Jiro. It's like a three-inch spider that's going to be migrating up to like the Upper East Coast, uh, the New Jersey, Delaware, Maine area. Apparently, it's harmless. Um, its tentacles won't bite you, or if they do bite you, it's not poisonous. But it's crazy the size of this thing, man. They're actually kind of uh, pretty, I don't know, I'd say beautiful, but, you know, not that I have um, anacrophobia. Is that what it's called? Anacrophobia? That doesn't sound right. Yeah, the fear of spiders and bugs. Um, <laughs> but, uh, man, it's just crazy. Like, you know, didn't we have an invasion of, like, the beetles or something last year? No, not the real beetles. Uh, the animal beetles. But, uh, yeah, be looking on the lookout. Be on the lookout, rather, for the great spiders. Well, this was kind of cool news. Tiger Woods has made it into the Hall of Fame. And why shouldn't he? I mean, the guy has contributed so much to the sport of, did I call golf a sport? I guess I did, huh? <laughs> so, yes, I'm visually impaired. I don't play golf. And I know many, many people do. But I can embrace the fact that you go out to a beautiful, stunning course. You're out in fresh air, gorgeous day and embracing something that you love. But I just can't obviously relate to hitting a little tiny ball with a club into some imperceptible or inconceivable hole as well, like very, very far away, multiple football fields. Anyway, I digress. But good for Tiger Woods. And when I was listening to his acceptance speech, he talked about discrimination, and this is pretty powerful. I love that he mentioned this because just because he's receiving an award for a sport that he's given so much to. And yes, <laughs> there's been a lot of controversy and, and personal issues, but he's he's always risen, and when he's fallen, he's risen again. And he's in the midst of rising again after his accident over a year ago, and he's had multiple surgeries. But I'm really happy that he brought up discrimination because it's, it's hard. To, well, it's not hard to think. It's easy to think that it's existed and still exists, um, but when he was a junior golfer, he would go to clubhouses and they would stop him and they would say, well, you're not allowed. And he would respond by saying, like, where's the first tee and what's the course record? <laughs> oh, man, I love that. That should be a T-shirt. Where's the first tee and what's the course record? Meaning get out of my way, you blank hole. I'm here because I'm an athlete. And I'm here because you offer a platform for that sport to be executed. Don't judge me by the color of my skin, the car I drive, how I speak, how I dress. How dare you? And good for him. Good for Tiger Woods for getting up there and being very, very vulnerable. I've always liked the guy. Obviously, he's got issues. Hey, we all got issues. We're all weird, right? In different ways and forms. Um, I did not see... His ex-wife in the audience, but then again, she could be there and maybe not seated together, but unlikely. The mother was there, his Tiger Woods mother, his two kids, and his 14-year-old daughter spoke with such grace, and she was so poignant. And she and she used her father as an example of, of being in, uh, a strong, courageous, and being able to come back. I mean, you know, we all love comebacks in life. But I mean, man, this guy like defines a comeback. Wow. He is just steadfast. He's got great fortitude. And his son, I, I don't remember his son's name. <laughs> his son, you know, be on the lookout, man, because if you're a golfer, you've seen him on some of the uh, 
more of the uh, I forget the actual name of the game that he did with his son a while ago, but it was a father and son like duo thing competition for charity. And he, I guess when his son does something good, he does like the money, you know, the uh, gesture with your fingers, like give me some scratch. And I guess that's something Tiger used to do with his father. Uh, but, uh, you know, hopefully he doesn't, it's not predicated, his sport is not predicated, or his love for the sport is not predicated on money, that's for sure. But anyway, it was it was really nice to see. He was very, very emotional about the uh, impact his father had on him and the sport and being a father himself, uh, a role model, and, of course, changing the way the sport is played. And good for him. I think it's, it's well-deserved. And I really would love to see him come back uh, fully and give everybody a run for their money because it just goes to show, you know, how deep and how strong the human spirit is. Man, I just love that stuff. I mean, whatever we get hit with in life, whether we lose a job, whether we're diagnosed with maybe a possible fatal disease, nope, it's not going to take me out. It's not going to take you out because you'll find a way to become healthier, to treat yourself in a homeopathic way, possibly, in whatever form and shape, as long as you can be and be here, survive, and maybe be a stronger, better version of yourself. I mean, that's what we all strive for, right? I mean, look at Kaylee Brendel, the person you just met earlier in the show. I mean, she could just, you know, just like a lot of us, coast, be a middle of the packer, slack off, and that's, that's fine. Not everybody in this world can be a type A, nor should they be, you know? And so it's just great to see that, um, yes, that he had personal issues. He had addictions. And um, I hope they're being addressed. Obviously, it made a, a good portion, good portion rather, of his life collide and collapse. Um, so hopefully that's been addressed. And I'm sure he's been in therapy and working on that. But uh, we wish Tiger all the best. So, yeah, apparently... <laughs> Total non sequitur here. Apparently only like 20 some odd percent of people in New Jersey. By the way, New Jersey is one of the like three or four states in the United States that does not pump their gas. And according to this latest survey, does not care to pump their own gas. And I'm like, wow, well, if it saves us a couple cents, what's the big deal? I mean, I, I'm a do-it-myself kind of person anyway. Um, so I don't mind getting out of the pump getting out of the car rather <laughs> and uh, doing it because usually it's a lot faster because you have to wait for the attendant. Hey, no offense to them because they're working hard and they're usually understaffed, but Hey man, if we can save some money at the pump, why not? But apparently 70 some odd percent do not want to pump their own gas in New Jersey. And uh, we've all seen if you uh, are in the tri-state area in New Jersey, in the New York area, you've seen some great t-shirts about New Jersey girls don't pump gas, et cetera. Uh, but I guess it's true, man. Um, and, and I thought this was funny. About 5% are undecided. Like, how could you not have a decision about something so frivolous? Like, either you don't mind pumping your gas or you do mind. But other, I guess other people are like, um, I have to think about this. I have to dwell on it. <laughs> I don't know, man. But getting back to uh, Ukraine, as we started uh, the show earlier today, I am really impressed with Zelensky on every level. Um, yes, yeah, you can talk about his prior expertise as an actor, as a comedian, but I think that it doesn't matter because who he is, 
in the core of who he is is what's important because I think that doesn't matter about his entertainment background. I think his executive demonstration uh, ship is where it's at. To be able to speak with world leaders with such dignity, um, pride, positivity, and respect, and have such dignity for his country and his countrymen is just phenomenal. I respect him on every level. I, I feel horrifically bad for everyone in that country, for everyone who's made an exodus. And I take my hat off to Poland, that's for sure, for being so welcoming. India, what's going on? Emirates, what's going on? Help out here. Get involved. Yeah. So it's it's kind of a bleak situation. But um, I really, really hope it doesn't get much more dire before the tables turn. I really hope, hope not. So, you know, do what you can, again, to take care of yourself during, you know, it's been a really <laughs> a blank show of over two years now. Anniversary in March when COVID started. Two years, baby. Now we have this really big thing on our plate, and it takes a toll. So if you need to turn off the media, turn it off. Exercise, music, you know, get some dopamine going, man. It's free of charge. You can get it on many different levels. Whatever you need to do just to feel whole. Um, whether it's even just being entrenched in this, in the news and in the coverage, that's fine. But you, you have to step back once in a while. It's one thing to be connected and to feel like you, you can do something. But by doing something for yourself and your family, by not having that uh, negative stimuli. And yes, it's a great learning moment for a lot of us um, as parents. But obviously, we have to be very, very sensitive to the ages that we're exposing this really horrific information and sharing it with them. But anyway, uh, I know you'll be resilient. I know you uh, make good judgment. That's why you listen to the Progressive Radio Network. <laughs> you have poor judgment if you listen to this show. But, but uh, of course, I'm saying this with a wink and a nod. And I thank you again for hanging with me this Thursday. Thank you so much to Kaylee. Kaylee's going to be back next week for part two, numero dos. If you didn't hear this entire interview, you can go on the Insight page on the Progressive Radio Network in another day or so. It'll be posted, and part one will be accessible, downloadable, shareable on all platforms, et cetera, et cetera. Hey, my name's Mark Farrell. Yes, looking forward to spring, looking forward to the weekend, looking forward to letting my hair down, looking forward to spending more time with you in the near future. Gary Knowles next. Be well, keep living and laughing. Insight with Mark Farrell. Check out this and all Insight shows on the Insight page at prn.fm. prn.fm. Have Mark speak at your company, your kid's school or college. Mark speaks on critical topics that affect kids and adults everywhere, from anti-bullying, mental health, drugs and alcohol, to overcoming adversity. Visit markfarrellmotivation.com for more info. Insight, Thursday mornings at 11 on the Progressive Radio Network. Network.